Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Um, today we're welcoming back an old friend, Karen Warren. This is actually a recorded show. We did it at the, I think it was the 6th or the 7th of January, so it is a little dated because um, we're talking about New Year's. But it's a really good interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's Karen. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Happy New uh, Year. I've been looking forward to having another chat with you. I love our chat. Me too. I um, Did you get do anything fun on New Year's Eve? Uh, yeah, we had a party on New Year's Eve. Like we often we sort of got into the tradition of having a party at our place. And sometimes we have a big, huge party with lots of people. And sometimes we only have a few, but we ended up with about 20. Um, and usually, if it's a nice, because, you know, it's nice and warm, it's usually beautiful weather on New Year's Eve here. Um, but this year we had a lot of, it was really hot, and we had a really lot of smoke from all the bushfires that have been in the country. Um, so we had to all be inside, so it was a bit squishy, but we had a very, very fun time. You were you were squishy? <laughs> yeah, well, we had there was 20 people sort of in the house, and we were all sort of, everyone was dancing, and we were drinking, we, oh, I made these really yummy cocktails, it was um, Prosecco, and uh, cloudy apple juice, and a little dash of vodka in there too. Interesting, interesting, what's it called? Um, I, I can't. I don't think I had a name. I think it was just like an apple, apple prosecco cocktail or something. Um, I don't think I had a name, but it was really nice. Now you have, have to come up with a name, Karen. You're creative. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was trying to. I think I, I think people had creative ideas on the night, but I don't think there was anything that was very, very good. But it was really delicious and very, very refreshing. So that was really nice. I like. I, I really, really like seeing the new year in with friends and in a positive way. I feel like it sort of sets the tone for my year in a way. Yeah, so I can um, I get really, I get really anxious if I don't have something to do on New Year's Eve. I'm not one of these ones who can stay home. And I, but I, get, I don't like watching the fireworks on TV. So somebody puts the TV on at our house and I'm like, no, we're not watching the fireworks. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm a bit strict about it because I kind of feel like anyone watches the TV rather than connecting with each other. Like at this critical moment when the year turns, if there everyone's looking at the TV. So yes, it's my it's my moment of throwing a tantrum. Is if people try to watch the fireworks on New Year's Eve at my house. I remember when I was young, I used to go with a group of friends. I was in the theater group, and we would go to um, Disneyland for New Year's. Oh, fun. They, it's just the people who pay for the New Year's party. So it's it's almost like a closed park. There's oh, not that fun. many people there, so you could go on the rides as much as you want. And then they had the famous Disneyland fireworks. And, and, and those were one of, some of the best New Year's. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I, I wasn't on a date. I wasn't stuck at home. I didn't have to worry about anything except having fun. It was great. Well, yeah, that sounds perfect. 
It was brother so we got um we got sparkling cider nice so we had sparkling oh, cider perfect. and hors d'oeuvres and and really good spinach um dip that my brother makes and oh yum it was yum yum oh yum. i love good spinach dip yeah and that's what we did and then uh at, at about five minutes to midnight my brother went to bed early <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a hug and a kiss, like good night, and, and he I went off to bed. <laughs> I go, okay. I looked at my cat pie, and I go, okay. I got a hug and a kiss on the cheek from him. Are you going to give me a hug and a kiss? And she's, nah. She curled up on my lap, and we watched the rest of the same oh. man. <laughs> watching TV and, and enjoying food. Yes, no, that sounds, that sounds very, very pleasant to me. Uh, but when uh, I grew up, we used to watch Dick Clark. Oh, okay, yes. And the bell, uh, not the bell, the ball in New York falling. Yeah. That's what we used to, we was, even when I was at parties, we would, at like five minutes till somebody would turn the TV and it wasn't fireworks, it was hearing Dick Clark doing the countdown. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. I know most people really love it, but it's one of my things. I don't like it. I don't like watching the countdown on TV. I want us to actually do it in person and not have somebody else count down for it. Yeah. My little, one of my little things. Well, this year we didn't even have a countdown. and My brother went five minutes early, so... <laughs> Hawaiian buns, and we had, um, like, crackers, of course, and, um, little mini hot dogs, and very American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Well, I made some, I made some um, buttermilk fried chicken, which is pretty good. I make a big, huge mound of that, and everyone just kind of nibbles away on it all night when I do these New Year's Eve parties, and people bring cheese and biscuits and... That sort of thing and dips and yeah, it's good. I like the I, I'm a yeah. dipper. I like dips. I, I like, love dips. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I we we had onion dip and spinach dip and we kind of switched off between. Yes. I like no, that. I, like, I love I love food is good. Food is good. But um yeah, and then when I was watching old movies with William Powell and Myrna Loy and you can't go wrong with Thin Man. <laughs> no, no, true. It's true. You can trust it. <laughs> I just, um, my son and I just did a rewatch of The Godfather, one, two, and three. Yeah. And that was really, yeah, that was really cool. I just, I think, <clears throat> I heard someone make 
a comment. Like they sort of misunderstood the nature of Michael Corleone and somebody else was talking about him and who he was and that sort of thing. And it just made me want to watch them again. And so my son said, yeah, yeah, I'll watch them. Because <clears throat> he had seen one but not two or three. I so think, that was really cool. I, uh, look, I, uh, just, the first two are just amazing movies. I think it's interesting to watch the corruption of Michael Corleone. Yes. Because at the beginning, he doesn't want anything to do with it. No, I know. And it's done It's done so well when you see him at the beginning, and he really is this clear, innocent-faced <clears throat> man, isn't he? And then he just gets, he gets sort of drawn into it well, through the family obligation. Or, well, you know, and then it's yeah, so sad to see him by halfway through number two and there he is he's in it yeah, he's both in it. in it and there's nothing left of that young innocent man at all when his wife looks in and sees him getting the people kissing his ring in yes. the second one you're just like you want to throw I know. up I know and he just lied to her yeah I think that was what he, like it was done so well he lied to her and off she goes and you're not sure if she knows if he's lied or not but we know that he's lied and therefore their relationship has forever changed yeah I mean that he's got that life versus that life and that's what it is now and he he said uh they stayed married until the end but it's just because it, that's very old-fashioned Italian but you 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 knew that as soon as that stuff went when that when he started lying and he kept keeping his life away from her, you knew their marriage was over. Yes, yes, because she wasn't a yeah you know, she hadn't grown up in the family either. So if she was Italian, I guess if she was Italian who had grown up with her father being in the business, um, she probably would have just put up with it or not not worried about it or whatever. But she wasn't like that. She'd grown up differently. So. And she'd fallen in love with the man who wasn't going to be in the business, hadn't she? Yeah, she fell in love with the sailor. Yeah. The sailor who yes. wanted to, I think he wanted to be um, a business, a regular, a real, normal businessman, like an accountant or something. I, I can't yes. remember what he, he, but he didn't want anything to do with the mafia. He didn't want anything to do with his father's. He loved his father, but he hated the business. He just didn't didn't want all that part of it. But then he let his son go, which was, you know, what a, what a great moment that was. Yeah. Well, he didn't really want his son in the business anyway, but then wanted him in some kind of related business, but then let him go to be the singer. So that was pretty amazing. Didn't want to do... I wonder his father hadn't really, was, wasn't really forcing him to be in the business. Although he had, I guess he had Sonny and the other brother. And he didn't. He wasn't forced. He was the one who went to college. He was proud of him. He yeah, was, yeah, that's right. So his father had not, had, had made choices on Michael's behalf. Um, that that he was going to be the good boy, the the boy that that was going to be the clean one. Yeah. Yes, yes. So he, so the father must have had visions of the family getting out of the business too. I think with Michael maybe leading the way, that the next generations wouldn't have to do what he'd done. But I, then yeah, I love seeing that the early history stuff um, of, of his early his early life and why he had to do the things he had to do, like why he was so desperate to have a family that was financially secure and so that they would never be victims again. I, I think it's a lot of it, isn't it? Yeah. Also, I also think that if you look at Vita and you look at Michael, Vita was not, he wasn't really as nasty and he really wasn't as, um, I mean, Michael did prostitution and and drugs and the two things that his Vita never wanted to touch. Yes. 
so, yeah, I feel like Michael made um, decisions about assassination that Vito would not have made. Exactly. I mean, mm. when you see the old man at the end playing with his grandchild in the garden before he died, he, he, he was that was a man who was playing for his conscience, and he wasn't as he he did wrong things, but he didn't do it for the reasons like Michael. A lot of the reasons he chose were for money. Yes. Vito did not do that. His was always honor. He was always protecting someone. It, he 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 did it to better the people that were depending on him. Michael, a lot of times, it was always money. Yes, yes. And that was the difference between them. Yeah, and protecting his money and protecting his legacy, I suppose. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's no, weird it's, since it's I seen it, and I still remember the movies. It's just weird. <laughs> yes. No, I know. Well, I had remembered, like, when I watched them again, I think I had forgotten the elements of them, but certainly, number two, I remembered really, really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, certain moments. Mm. But I'm no, like... We weren't quite so engaged with number three. I, that's, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, that was... It's funny. It's it, and That one is the one he fought the hardest to produce. Um, but um, I was—I remember I had no interest in The Godfather, and my dad always went for the book before the movie. He was—he was a book guy, and he, and he knew that there was a lot of softer stuff in the book, and a lot of the the history and there there was more information about the daughter that. And, and the doctor and a bunch of stuff that wasn't in the movies. So yeah. he knew I'd be I'd get involved if I read the book, but I wouldn't have gotten involved if I watched the movie first. Yeah, interesting. So he gave me the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My father was yeah. crafty. <laughs> yeah, no, very good on him. It's a great, I've got that. I'm going I'm to try and find it in my big pile of the books. I, I want to give it to my son to read. I love the book. The book is... I can't really remember all the little details now. I just remember that the, the there was a lot more about the daughter and the doctor and all that stuff. And it was, it was yeah, much more touching. There was a lot of about Vito and his wife and, and, and how he felt about his boys and... And and the and the absolute sadness about Sonny and it it, it was yes. much deeper, you know. Yes, yes, yeah. It's hard to capture that that level of emotion in a in a movie, isn't it? Yeah, but even with great really actors. I thought she developed so well over the three movies. I think she was maybe the character that developed the best. Mm-hmm. Like she was so in the first one, she was just this. You know, a young young girl with hopes and whatever, and in the second one she's sort of bitter and desperately trying to break away, but doing it in such terrible ways and always making bad choices. And by the third one, she's just this dedicated, you know, giving everything for the family again. And I thought that was a really interesting and very and quite sad progression for her. It you is. Know, she chose and if she'd actually married well, well, not that she had to marry to have a life, but it would have got her out of the family. If she'd actually chosen a good person, a good man, she would have had a different life. Instead, she had this life of duty to Michael and nothing else. It was a terrible. That really quite sad by the end. It was really sad. It was. Mm. It, it is a really very interesting. Puzo was a brilliant writer. He really was. Yeah. Yes. Now you've made him out of it. Now I'm going to go and 
there's my books are vaguely alphabetical, so it's got to be there somewhere. I'll go and, and go and have another look today. Is it uh, alphabetical under the author or the name of the book? Uh, under author. Okay. The only page is I keep pulling things out and moving them around, so it needs, definitely needs to be resorted out, out in my book area. Um, but I might, might be able to find him. Because I had a couple, I think. So. Should be under P. Yeah. It should be under P. It should be under P. In mm-hmm. theory, but yes, things things have been moved around a bit. The other um, book I'm just reading. We were talking before about. Um, I'm doing a reread of Daphne Du Maurier, who I just have always adored. Um, and the one I'm reading now is very I'm talking about a dutiful daughter. Um, it's got this really strong, dutiful daughter character, which is breaking my heart as well, called The Parasites. Have you read that one, Daphne du Maurier? I've never even heard of that one. Oh, look, it's a really, I think it's a very obscure, <laughs> it's an obscure one. It's really good, but very, very weird. Like, it's not, it's kind of, it's not the same sort of um, proper story that Rebecca or the scapegoat is, It's, a, it's or, um, or even my cousin Rachel. It's more of a series of memories. It's about three siblings who are all all half siblings to each other in various ways, who had very famous parents. One, the father was a singer and the mother was a dancer. And at the beginning of the book, the, the, the husband of one of them says, you're all just parasites, you're all parasites. And so most of the book is them sitting there together, remembering their lives and wondering why they're the way they are. Um, but the unmarried daughter just has this dutiful life where she just looked after her father until she was in her 40s or something and it's oh it just kind of breaks there's this terrible scene where she's at a publisher her father has got her an interview with a publisher because she's written a series of kids books with these beautiful drawings and the publisher is saying oh you're a genius this is amazing i don't we don't love the stories but you're a beautiful artist and she's kind of terrified um, but excited at the same time but then of course she goes home and the father has had a stroke and so she gives up everything to look after him and by the time I'm reading the story now she's not done anything with her art and it's so it's really heartbreaking it's a very interesting book it's a really really interesting book she's so amazing at capturing moments that she describes dinners out and just with with half a sentence you completely know where you are like you can smell the food cooking and hear the laughter in the background and it's just great she describes this this father is a is very flamboyant everyone adores him but he gets he drinks a lot too and gets very what does she call it there's a particular word she calls for him getting drunk tight he gets very tight (laughs) Um, and there's this amazing scene after a big celebratory dinner where he's talking to a couple and Daphne du Maurier describes the woman as um, rigid with boredom or words to that effect and it's just fantastic and then at the end of it you realise these people weren't even part of the party they were just strangers in this restaurant who he has somehow captured and is boring to death and it's just it's, oh, it's wonderful I'm really really enjoying it That's but yeah the dutiful daughter thing talking about this this role of the dutiful daughter is um, quite an interesting one I think I just I I never even heard of that. It's very interesting. It made me think of something. It, there was this book that Agatha Christie wrote. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. But in it, uh, it's about a woman who thinks she's one way, but through being stuck alone for like a week, she finds out, or she goes through her memories. It's sort of like it forced 
therapy by herself because there's no one to talk to. Nobody speaks English. Oh. And she's in the middle of nowhere. And um, she placed it in Syria, I think, because at the time she was digging in Syria, so that was the area she knew the best. Um, and um, and as she's going, th you're you're going through her actual life with her, and right. and you see oh. her seeing herself as she really is, and why her husband and her children can't stand her, and. She, she thinks she's a wonderful mother and a wonderful wife, but actually she basically free, froze them out in so many ways. Um, denied the husband the career he actually wanted. Denied the daughter the marriage she wanted. Oh, uh, I mean, things like that. I mean, she, she's actually a really horrible woman. And I was like, as I'm reading it, and I, and I realize... You can, not to that level, but none of us really know who we are. I mean, we know who we are in our heart, but we have so many facades and masks when we're dealing with different people and different types of things that we fool ourselves because we're so busy trying to placate a situation or be friendly with a person be for business reasons or be kind to someone because they're poor, not because you like them. Or whatever the reasoning is, you don't really, after a while you have so many masks, it's hard to see you. It's really interesting, because I, I read some analysis of it afterwards. It actually, she wrote two, she wrote about six books under a different name to basically deal with the breakup of her marriage and the what and stuff. And it's, it was like this really cheap form of therapy, and she got a lot of money for it because even though it wasn't under her name, people bought it. It was like a, they said it was a moderately well-selling book, which always made her happy because, right. because you know, she million-dollar books as Agatha Christie, but uh, was it Mary Westermacott? No. Most wasn't West Westmacott. Westmacott, yeah, that's it. Westmacott. Yeah. Yeah, and she was a moderately successful author under those because, really, and people call them romances, but I've read two of them, and believe me, there is no romance. They were just both pretty much tragedies. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever read any. You know, isn't that interesting? I certainly knew that she wrote those books. But maybe I've heard them described as romances and assumed that they were. They're not romantic. Not at all. Yeah, That's one of them. The other one is they, um, her, her second husband, Max, said that the character in this other book that I read was the closest to Agatha as you're going to get in a book form. And, right. And I can't remember the names of them. Sorry, age. But, um, yeah, it'll come. It'll come to you. But um, um, in that book, this woman is about to commit suicide and someone saves her and she uses this theme in three books so it was very important for her um, it was in this book it was in the Mer uh, Agatha Christie book uh, Towards Zero and it was in one of the Harlequin um, short stories oh, okay. yep, yep. and basically what it said was and I, it really hit me I, I remember it so well because it really hit me, because I read these three books one right after another, so it was like, 
it's like somebody's up there is up trying to tell you something. You cannot kill yourself because if you kill yourself, you could be setting up that someone else dies. You, it, whether it's um, something you say or uh, something you do, could be you just are delaying a car from being in an area where it could hit a child, or yeah. it, it, it was it was really a fascinating. So by removing yourself, by removing yourself, that person will die. Yeah, well, we don't know what that's going to set off. We don't, don't. We don't know what your absence is going to do down the line. And that person so could amazing. have the cure for cancer or to stop something bad happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And because you killed yourself. You're stopping that person from going on and doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. And you don't know, have to know them. You don't have to do anything but be yourself. And then you be put in. You may not even know you did it, but you put something in motion that actually yeah. saves that person's life. Yes, interesting. Isn't that interesting. It's a very interesting in concept. And those are the two books I read of the, from Under Mary. <laughs> Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm going to have to definitely find it now. Yeah. Um, I wish I hadn't dismissed it as romance all this time. I did it first until I read uh, the anniversary, um, I think it was 60th or 70th or 75th, I don't remember. But anyway, um, the anniversary for Agatha came up, and her son put um, one of um, her grandson put uh, something, uh, uh, an article that um, his mother, Agatha's daughter, had written about those books. And I read it, and I realized, oh, okay, so it has nothing to do with romance. It's really brittle, sad little tragedies. Yeah, wow. How amazing. So it, it, it's definitely worth reading. I may even actually have them. I feel like they're the sort of thing I would have bought just because they were Agatha Christie, even if I never actually read them or not. So I'll have to have a little look. I'll have to look under W's and see if I've got any. I have a feeling I might have one or two, but I'm not sure. But they're really good. Um, okay, one, I'm looking it up. One is called Unfinished Portrait. That's the one about the suicide. And the other one is Absent in Spring. That's about the woman who doesn't know herself. A white Absent in Spring. Okay. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm going to try and find those. I had to look it up because it was driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you did. Yes, no, that's good. Well, if you'll have to see if you can find the parasites as well. Yeah, I um, have to. I have to. I, I never heard of that one. I thought I read yeah, her yeah. book. No, and I just haven't read it. And I'm looking at the like I've obviously had it for a long time. I'm looking at the sticker. I got it for one dollar from a secondhand bookshop um, when I was living in Sydney, and I think early on days when I was living in Sydney. So I probably bought it in like 1985. I think is how long I've had this book for. I love that. I love that. I love you know. I don't you love going to like a library book sale and like getting something for then no, they you just are going through and they have like a fifty cent section. You okay, that one was interesting. And then you end up reading. Oh, that one's crap. Oh, but this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. We find things like we have a Lifeline book series. So Lifeline is a charity. Um, that's talking about suicides and that sort of thing. They're there on the phone. They provide um, phone 
uh, counselling, so people who need help in any way at all can call Lifeline and have someone to talk to, which is really a great service. Um, and they have a big book fair twice a year where they get hundreds of thousands of books. Um, and so that's a wonderful thing too. Because oh, yeah. Because things that you wouldn't find otherwise. And all the money goes to the charity? Yeah, all the money goes to the charity. That's lovely. And here in Canberra, like, I think it's the same elsewhere, but oh, people love it. So it opens Friday mornings at 9 o'clock or something. But people are queuing to get in from about 8 in the morning. So when you get there, there's this huge long queue of two or 300 people snaking to get in the door because everybody wants to get in there and get the, you know, get the amazing books. Incredible books get donated. I've got both um, Mouse, you know the comic series, the uh, graphic novel Mouse, M-A-U-S? Uh-huh. Oh, incredible. So a couple of years ago I got both, both book one and book two of that at this book sale. Unbelievable. There was this book that I got at um, a secondhand store. We used to have a secondhand store that was down the block. I love that place. Um, and it had, I had never heard of it before. And it was Mark Twain. And it was called, it was paperback. It was pretty old. I still have it. The cover was a little loose. It's called Letters from Earth. Oh. And I had never heard of it before. And I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe he wrote this. It's about Satan. And Satan is not like humans think it is. He thinks humans thought of uh, Satan and God and, and um, Paul and all that. He thinks it's ridiculous. Because, because this is, uh, he said, he's writing to his brother, um, the one who opens the pearly gates in heaven, what's his name? Michael. He's writing to his brother. He, he has been thrown out, but for God's, that's only for like a year to, to uh, for okay. them it's like a year. But for, you know, so he's really not thrown out. He's just, there for about a year and he's not he's not in hell and he's actually like uh he's just like in a place for God to hang out and stuff and so he he's writing and he he goes to earth to visit and he thinks humans are hilarious he goes, <laughs> he thinks the, uh, the, that they think we're, uh, he, he goes, he, he's writing Michael letters from Earth because he's on Earth with humans listening to what they think of them, God and Michael and, and Satan and everything. And he thinks it's the silliest things he ever heard. <laughs> it's really fascinating. Wow. And I, that was like a book I got for like a buck. Yeah. See, I love those discoveries that you wouldn't look them out otherwise, but then they sort of come up in a pile of books and you think, oh, I might as well give it a go. Well, it's like, it was Mark Twain, and I like Mark Twain. My, you know, I'm not a big one on Huck Finn, even though that's the classic, but I like, I like, um, um, Prince and the Pauper, and I like, uh, Connecticut Yankee, and I like the kind of quirky ones he wrote. Mm. Connecticut, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, and stuff like that. And so, yeah. I saw this one and said, uh, I have a little picture of Mark Twain, and said, Letters from Earth, and I'm going, hey, that sounds oh, different. Interesting. It has a letter from his daughter at the beginning, 
basically explaining that her father does believe in God, but this is just his humor, and it's supposed to be meant in <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's exploration of what it all means, too. I mean, it's good to be, good to be trying to think. It was, it about, was... About, you know, and analyze yourself or think for yourself. I think that's good. But it is true if you think about it. The mythologies we create are elaborate. It's like we take one little thing and we go off into so many different directions and it's like and I'm not just talking I'm not talking about any particular I'm not even just talking religion. I'm talking about mythology of all kinds. <clears throat> aliens. Let's take aliens. Aliens are gonna come and they're gonna attack us and they want they want what we have on Earth and they're gonna eat us and all this other stuff. Well, it's stupid. It really the whole mythology of it is dumb. They can get all of the stuff that we have on Earth at the asteroid belt and they don't have to deal with us humans to do it. <laughs> and they are not going to eat us because they're not from here and if they try to eat us we're poisonous. They probably can't breathe our ear, they probably can't step on Earth because our gravity is either too light or too low and our oxygen is a strange phenomena that's nowhere else from in the galaxy according to all the stuff the astronomers. I mean everything we have come up with aliens is just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I just did a, um, a story and an Australian publisher did it because War of the Worlds I think is opened up as out of um, copyright I think at the moment. Um, so they did a War of the Worlds um, what would it be if the Martians didn't didn't all die back then? And the story set in Australia. They wanted stories mostly set in Australia. So that was really interesting. So some people wrote stories back set um, in contemporary times, like when, when War of the Worlds happened, and some people did modern Australia, what would happen if the Martians had been here all this time. And then I was one of the ones who did uh, the future of what would happen in the future when and, and my concept was that the Martians were coming back again. So the Martians who were here and had lived here for the last few hundred years had adapted and changed and then there was another shiploads, shiploads of them coming from their home planet and even the Martians who were here were quite terrified of what that was going to mean. Which is very much what happens, isn't it, when people transplant themselves? Like a, mm -hmm. a Greek person who comes to Australia um, has a different, is a different Greek person than one who, who stays back home in Greece. So I was exploring all that a little bit. What? That was really fun. That was really, really fun to write that one. Very interesting. I said it in the future. I was inspired by the... Um, uh, the long player. Have you heard of that? I think I, know, I can't remember if we talked about this last time or not. Um, the long player is this uh, machine, I guess you'd call it, that is playing a continuous uh, piece of music for a thousand years. Oh. And has been playing, I think, for I think since I think it's been playing for about twenty years now. And they're planning it for it to keep playing for you know for a thousand years. And so I set my story just when that was going to stop playing like I just was I thought that would be an interesting thing if I imagined a world where this long player became a really uh, important continuity to humanity and what would what would we feel like if that if that music stopped playing interesting yeah yeah quite fascinating it's a fascinating thing you can actually listen to it um, and it's just kind of like ding dong you know it's, it's kind of bells and things and things like that like it's not like a piece of classical music playing um but it's, it's a musical piece nonetheless like um 
it's quite it's quite amazing. Oh, every now and then I'll sort of go back and just have a look at it. And they've got like the, the clock is ticking, ticking up or ticking down. I think they maybe have both. <laughs> but how how what 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 an interesting concept that is, and how it makes you think about how we'd like to have these strings of continuity running through our history, don't we? It is funny. Like how something old is lost, you know, like an old building or a, or something is lost to fire or whatever. Um, how that's a piece of continuity that severs us from the past, and maybe that's one of the reasons why we find it so disturbing and upsetting. It is funny how we're we're kind of we're we're kind of stuck in this. Humans think everything in a human way, so we don't actually think beyond. But the weird thing is, is that even among our own, on our own planet, we're one people and everything, we build everybody that's not from where we are into boogeymen. So why would we be accepting of aliens if we can't even accept people on our own planet? No, no. No, well, I guess that's what, you know, a lot of Star Trek, etc., is about exploring, isn't it? Like, how do we... How do we make it work? You know, how, how do we become better people so that we do accept people outside our own experience? Exactly, exactly. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. It's like human psychology is just bizarre. <laughs> it is bizarre. I know. It really is very bizarre. We're such we bizarre all of us are Yeah. Quite bizarre. I think even though, even though you know, if you have, you have that thing where you you think your family or the way you live is completely ordinary, and then you go and live somewhere else and they have an, or, you know stay, stay the weekend with friends or whatever and they have another whole way mm-hmm. of being ordinary yep you know I really love that like the habits the, the small habits that you have in your own house that you think are completely ordinary and meaningless and then someone else comes in and goes oh is that how you do that or oh, really and that's what you do but we all have our own little odd ways of living it's weird because I think the, one of the best things and sometimes the worst thing that we did was we moved around a lot. So mm-hmm. I, I lived, I was, I was born and um, brought up for the first nine years of my life in Los Angeles. And then I li- we moved to the Midwest, to Ohio, and then we moved to New Jersey, and then we came back to L.A., and then I, we, uh, all the, but during that time we traveled to other places too. We went to Washington D.C. and we went to Maryland and we went to Canada and we went to Boston and Rhode Island and, you know, we we traveled other places. And then when I got older, I mean, the most the only place I went away from the country was Canada. Which was great, and I loved it, but it's not actually Canada and when we speak the same language, and really <laughs> so when I got older, when I was eighteen, one of the things I did is I earned enough money to go to Mexico. That was exciting yep. for me, yeah, wow. yeah because it was a different language and it was a different culture, and I loved it, I loved it, so and then I went to Europe and I went to the Caribbean. I mean, I traveled quite a bit. But when I was a little kid, we moved a lot. But we also traveled a lot. And I think that was one of the smartest things. So you're not caught in the same little cocoon of this is what everybody's like. Because 
even within yeah. your own country, everybody's not like you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I think it's a great, it's a great gift to give to a child actually to have a little bit of moving around like that, being around people who are um, you know different or you know have had different backgrounds. And it's very different. I mean, so different. I mean, going from California to the Midwest was for a nine-year-old was oh, complete and it, it was culture shock like you wouldn't believe it was like hitting me on the head culture shock it was bizarre to me yes. it was like we went to another planet <laughs> <laughs> well, how long were you there for? Uh, two and a half years okay so it's not, not quite long enough to like I, I, kind of, I think that three years is about what you need to feel like you belong to a place that's my theory anyway I never but actually did years, that if you need five years then it's really hard to leave we moved between too much three and five that. still enjoying it and feeling a part of it and then after five years it's really hard to leave a place because we because uh, we left there and then we lived in New Jersey for a year and a half and then we came back home and then I and I lived in Chicago yeah. for a year, but that was on my own as an adult. That was fun. Sorry, where were you for a year? Chicago, Illinois. Oh, oh, I love Chicago. I loved it. I loved it. Oh the only thing I hated was the weather. I hated tornadoes and. <laughs> but I, I love the people. When I was there in um, April, I was in Chicago. Oh, I just absolutely loved oh, it. They have great museums there. Yes. Yes, I went to one called, uh, what was it called? It was a part, of a, part of a university. It was the most amazing thing. Yeah, they have some think, really great stuff. Oh, my gosh. And, and Mission Avenue with the old stuff with the loop and stuff. Oh. Oh yes, it's yes. so cool. And and one of the cool things that they have is when you get out. Because um, I lived when I was working in Chicago, I lived in the suburbs, so I used to take the train to Chicago. And they had this thing, and the only other place I know that they have it is in Pasadena here in California, and that's where you can you, you get like a pass. You, you buy your bus pass, but the pass is an all day pass, and you can get off and get on anywhere in the city and right. so, and yeah. I I use that every single weekend <laughs> yeah fantastic yeah I think they have that I'm pretty sure they have that in Sydney and I'm not sure about Melbourne like an all day pass and I, mean, I know once you get to 65 they have a pensioners pass where you pay a dollar or two dollars for the day or it used to be not very much anyway and that lasts the whole day too which is fantastic yeah I think it was about five or six dollars in Chicago, and I and 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 Pasadena is actually free. That you that you wow. can you can go anywhere in Pasadena on the bus for free and go to any of the. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's it's amazing. the only place I know in California like that. That is amazing. I don't know if it's still like that because I haven't been there for a long while. But the, when that was about four or five years ago, last time I was there, I still had it. So hopefully That's it's still fantastic. there. Any listener from Pasadena, let me know if it's still there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, in a perfect world, that's how it, it should. You know, it should be public transit should be free or very cheap, really. Then people won't have to take their cars everywhere, which would be good. Yes. Um, actually, California's getting better. 
we have um, in Los Angeles, they have the Orange Line, which is basically a train, and uh, the subway. And in uh, San Diego, we have the trolley system and trams and trains. And so you, so uh, it is better, much better here than it was. Oh, that's good. Now, such a, it's really nice to be, it needs to be happening. We have public transport. We've got bus and tram in Canberra now. But they've been very crowded because we had this, this terrible hailstorm a few weeks ago. Like, just huge hailstones. And it smashed hundreds of cars. Oh, God. I've, I've, I've had that up this year. So many. And it smashed all the new car yards and the, and the second-hand car yards in most areas. So there's only one area where they still had cars for sale and they're sold out. Oh, wow. So people, are, you know, and, it's, and there's, there are hundreds of cars waiting for assessment. So, which is, you know, it's not, it's terrible, but it does mean that people are getting into the habit of getting public transport because they can't drive their car. Yeah, it's really strange. Um, but I actually really enjoy taking trolley. When um, we go downtown, we take the trolley. It's just—it's much more relaxing. Although it gets really crowded as we get toward downtown, uh, especially mm. like during a big thing like Comic Con or something like that. Oh, yeah. But uh, most of the time, it's just nice. Um, the other, um, and we also there's a, a coaster where you could go up and down the coast of the train. Oh, nice. So, if, like, we went, we took the trolley to um, Old Town, and then we took the coaster up to Del Mar and went to the fair. So we never used a car. That's great. In Melbourne, they had a thing just recently. So there's lots of tra trams that are really famous in Melbourne, and they go to all sorts of different suburbs, and they're absolutely brilliant. They had, a, and I don't know what stage it is of this, but they had a competition. They wanted people to write short stories that were based around particular tram lines. Oh. So then people would listen to the podcast. They would hop on in the city or wherever, put the podcast on, and as they're listening, they can see outside. So they can look out, and the story would say, and you know, and such and such pink building with the door falling off, and they would look out, and there, there's that, there's that, that building. Isn't that cool? That is really cool. That I is know. super so cool. I haven't actually checked out what, what's happened with it or, or listened to it or whatever. But if I listened in, if I lived in Melbourne, I definitely would have done one. I just think that was the most amazing idea. It's a great idea. And so one for every, you know, hopefully in the end they would have one for every every different tram line that was there. I find I one going one way and one going the other, and they want you know crime stories, but I guess romances as well. Like they want some scary ones, but not too scary. But I guess they all had to be reasonably short stories because, you know, unless... Because the aren't that long, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful idea? That's a great idea. It's so fantastic. And I think commuters would love that. I finally saw what Melbourne looks like in modern times. Um, there's, oh. there's a TV series, I'm sure you might have seen it, uh, My Life is Murder with Lucy Antipolis. Oh, yes, I haven't actually watched it yet. It has is Melbourne, it it's, well, yeah, it's really good. But it, it. it has Melbourne modern. I mean, I got to see the, the I didn't even know you guys had a Ferris wheel there. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and I mean, it's just like like the London wheel. I forgot what they call it. it it's a really slow thing that you can see the city. Um, but I, it was really cool because you got to see all the modern bridges and all the modern buildings and all the stuff you don't see when you watch like yeah, old shows like Dr. Blake and Miss Fisher. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a lovely city, Melbourne. Well, you're going to have to come to visit, and we'll have to do a little, at least an East Coast tour. That's cool. Come to visit me in Canberra, and we'll go down to Melbourne, and Adelaide's really cool as well. <laughs> I hope so. That's on my bucket list. It's on my bucket you list. You come for a visit. Someday. Yes, you can do chatting with Sherry in person. We'll line <laughs> you up for all these fabulous people to talk to. That would be great. That would be fun. Oh, um, I, I I can't tell you anything, but I saw Miss Fisher and the Crypteteers. What do you mean you can't tell me anything? Is I can't tell you about the movie. Oh, okay. Because okay. it hasn't come out yet, but I saw it at a screening. Did you like it? I loved it. Oh, good. I loved it. It's fraught sometimes, a TV series to a movie. Sometimes it's like they just drag out uh, one episode into a movie, but this well, this doesn't sound like that was like that. Some no, no, no. it was really thing. good. They did a really good job. They did, um, they expanded it beautifully. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I can't it out, I wonder. Yeah, it was really great. It was at the Palm Springs uh, Film Festival. Oh, fantastic. What fun. Yeah, they did really well. And did you meet any of the stars? Yes, I met, well, I met, I met Roger Lancer, who's the cinematographer. He was really oh, sweet yes. and adorable. And I finally met Nathan. <laughs> oh, cool. And what he was really fun. Nice. What a lovely opportunity. Yes, it was great. Yeah. So that was, oh. it. it was only like, three minutes because he had to run out with, because uh, the film festival is really working them really hard. But, yeah. but at least I met him. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's really nice. Um, we're coming to the end, but I want you to have time to talk about, you have any books coming out that you want to talk about? Um, I said that my latest one is the novella called Into Bones Like Oil. We were talking about that last time, but that's now out from Meerkat Press, and it's just made the preliminary ballot of the Stoker Awards, which is really exciting. Cool. Um, but not the shortlist, not the shortlist, but the preliminary. So we'll see what happens over the next few weeks if people really love it. But that seems to be resonating with people. So that's set in a rooming house. I've been quite obsessed with rooming houses for a long time, like probably about 25 years. Um, about who lives there and what the environment's like and all that sort of thing. Um, so it's set in a rooming house which overlooks uh, a beach where a ship wrecked a hundred years or so ago. And every night when the residents go to sleep, the ghosts from the shipwreck speak through them. Oh. And the man who runs the rooming house um, transcribes what they say and basically publishes the stories. Um, yeah, so that's not, that's not really a giveaway so much. It's, that's sort of... It's almost a, almost a spoiler, but not quite. But that's, that is kind of the basis of it. And it's about a woman called Dora who um, has had a tragedy in her life and she's basically escaping any kind of reality that she can escape and she comes to live in this quite nasty and isolated uh, rooming house and the people that she meets there and all that sort of thing. So, oh, yeah. wow. And is that available to purchase? 
Yes, yes. Actually, it's, it's, the Meerkat's got some really good distribution, so bookshops can get it in or obviously order online as well. Cool. Um, yeah, it seems, to, it seems to be resonating with people. I, I think I've got, there's lots of different characters in there and I think everyone connects in one way or another. Um, yeah. Um, you know, Sammy has been cooking away for a long time. We stayed... Um, probably about 25 years ago we stayed in a rooming house just for a week down in Melbourne by coincidence um, and I think my it was just such a I don't know it really obviously had quite an effect on me I think um, just spending this week there like rather than just one or two nights we actually almost became residents for a week um, and it really gave me a glimpse of what other what another life might be like if I made different choices I suppose because people who the people there were mostly people who'd um, I guess they had made maybe some bad choices along their life and this is where they were, but they're not ready to give up. They, they were still thinking, yes, we can, I can have a job and I can have a room of my own and that sort of thing. But it was really not, not the sort of place that you would want to spend the rest of your life in, put it that way. It was fascinating. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Um, so are you going to any conventions or do you have any... Uh, signings or anything like that that you want to let people know about? I'm going to be at Worldcon in New Zealand. Cool. Which is going to be exciting. And I think there's lots of um, Americans coming over for that, so I can't wait to catch up with friends. Cool. And the Canberra Convention is Complex, which is um, in October. So doing that one. And then, look, I probably won't go to StokerCon, which is in the UK this year. I think I just can't quite afford to do two overseas trips in one year but um, if I do get a shortlisting for the Stoker Awards I'll have to think about whether or not I can get some funding or something because that would be really fun as well but yeah that's about it I haven't really got oh hopefully I'll be to yes, New, Newcastle Writers Festival I'm actually hoping oh, this, it's not quite announced yet but I'm hoping to do a haunted place workshop with them where we go into uh, it's an old jail and do a writing workshop there. Oh, yeah, which I've done versions of it here in Canberra, and I've done one in a cemetery, and I've done one in um, the film and sound archives. It used to be the School of Anatomy, so there's all sorts of ghosts and ghostly feelings and smells and things around there. Um, yeah, they're really fun, and I just kind of get people to tap into their senses and really listen carefully and use their sense of smell and touch and all that sort of thing to really get the feeling for a place and write some stories. So I'm hoping that's going to happen. It's not confirmed yet, but it should be happening. Cool. That sounds really yeah. cool. I know. It should be really fun. Um, we've come to the end. I want to thank you for taking time. I know you're busy. Uh, I appreciate you coming back on the show. Oh, Sherry, I, have, I love coming on the show. I, just, I really love I find our conversation so inspirational. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Thank you. I know, I feel full of ideas. Like I tell, I've, got, I've, I've got this whole page full of notes that I've taken as we've been talking, of ideas and things to read and things to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I learned some yeah, stuff I never too. knew. Well, that's so cool. I love exchange of ideas. That's cool. Um, anyway, thank you for coming on. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Oh, oh, oh.